You are listening to the First Baptist Church Martin podcast. For more information on our church, visit fbcmartin.org. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, would you turn to 1 Corinthians 1 with me this morning? We're going to look at verses 18 through 25 this morning. We're in a, a series we started just a few weeks ago. We're walking through this New Testament letter from Paul uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to these believers who were at Corinth. And uh, we're still in chapter 1 this morning. We're going to look at, again, verses 18 through 25, and then next week hopefully finish up this first chapter. So if you have found your place there in God's Word, I want to invite you to stand with me this morning in honor of our Lord and the reading of His Word to us today. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, But to us, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. So where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Let's pray. Father, we're humbled this morning that we can be in your very presence today, that you are here with us and among us. Lord, we know that you're great and you're awesome. We know that you're sovereign, you are over all things. We know that you are holy beyond our mind's ability to comprehend, and yet you have chosen to reveal yourself to us through your Son and through your Word. And This morning, I ask that you speak today. Through me, through your Word, and the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, help us to lift up the cross of Christ, to preach today the message of the Gospel clearly. And I pray, God, that as we do that, that we'd be drawn together unto Him. That we would see, Lord, the power of the cross and the wisdom of the cross. And today our lives would be changed by the cross of Christ for His glory and for our eternal good. And we pray this today in His name and for His sake. Amen. may be seated. So I want you to keep in mind that in the verses prior to our passage this morning, Paul has been dealing with this issue of division within the church at Corinth. Uh, These believers were divided among themselves. They had aligned themselves under their favorite teachers. 
There was even a group there in the church that had, uh, had claimed to be followers of Paul himself. He was their spiritual hero. He was the one who went to Corinth and God used him to establish the church. He was the one who first brought the message of the gospel to them. Many of them were saved because of his ministry there. And so he was to them a hero. And they, they had pledged their allegiance to Paul, and they said, he's the one that we follow. And Paul, in verses 10 through 17, rebukes them for this attitude and for these alliances, and he reminds them that it is the cross of Christ, it is Christ and the cross that has brought them together. It is what saved them, it's what brought them together in the, his church And he reminds them that when he went to Corinth, he didn't go there to start his own little spiritual fan club. He didn't go there uh, trying to get people to follow after him. He went there on one simple mission, and that is to preach Jesus Christ to the people there in Corinth, to preach the message of the cross. Because Paul understood that it is by the message of the cross, it's by the preaching of the gospel that people are saved. Now, to some people, all of this is foolishness. And he says that in verse 18. There are people in the world that look at the preaching of the cross and they say, this is absolutely absurd. It is ridiculous. It's nonsense. It's the craziest thing that we've ever heard. This guy dying on a cross a long time ago and how that supposedly changes our lives and is supposed to make things different and make us right with God. That is absolute nonsense. And Paul recognizes that there are people in the world who have that kind of attitude. But he says, to those who are being saved, to those who believe, the cross is the power of God, and it is the very wisdom of God, because it's through the cross that man is able to find forgiveness of his sin and to be reconciled unto his God. Now, listen, when Paul talks about the message of the cross, he really is talking about the entirety of Scripture. He's talking about the whole of Scripture because all of Scripture is the story of redemption. It is all about the cross of Jesus Christ, even in the Old Testament. From the very beginning all the way to the book of Revelation, this is all about Jesus Christ. And it's all about the gospel, and it's all about God's story of redemption. You open in the book of Genesis, and you will find the answer to how we all got here. That we are not the product of chance, that we didn't just happen upon this earth that we're not the result of some series of cosmic events that took place that are inexplicable, but rather we are the marvelous creation of God Himself, fearfully and wonderfully made, made in God's own image. We were made by God, and we were made for God. Yet even so, man chose to rebel against God. He sinned against God, and when he did, The curse of sin fell upon all of humanity. It spread to everyone so that we are all under this curse. Because of sin, we find ourselves alienated from our Creator, separated from God, and deserving of nothing but His judgment and His wrath. But the message of Scripture tells the story of how God would send His own Son into the world, and through His Son, He would provide salvation by crucifying his son on the cross for our sins and raising him up from the dead so that through him we could be forgiven, we could be reconciled unto God, and we could have this hope and promise of eternal life. And Paul says, when I came to you, this is the message that I preached. 
I preached to you Jesus Christ and Him crucified. My message was the message of the cross. And yes, I recognize that some people in the world think that this is absolute nonsense, but I am telling you that it is the very power of God and it is the wisdom of God. And in the verses that follow, Paul begins to unpack that for us and explain to us why. If you look in verse 19, Paul quotes from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. And the verse that he quotes, for is, from, quotes from is from Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, where the Lord says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Now, when Isaiah first made this prophecy, when the Lord gave this word to Isaiah originally, it was for King Hezekiah. It was in a day when uh, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, had surrounded Jerusalem. They were pressing in on Jerusalem, and they were looking to destroy the people of Judah. And Hezekiah was in a panic because he knew that the Assyrians were strong and they were ruthless, and he feared that they were no match for uh, the Assyrian army. And so he tried to figure out himself some kind of plan, some kind of military strategy that would deliver his people. He couldn't come up with anything. And so then he began to ponder and consider making some military and political alliances with Egypt so that he could get help from elsewhere to defend himself and his people from the Assyrian army. And it was in the middle of all of that that God sends the prophet Isaiah to Hezekiah to tell him, listen, you don't need to worry about Sennacherib and the Assyrians. You need to put your trust in me. Because the Assyrians will not prevail. They will be defeated, but they're not going to be defeated because of your wisdom or because of your strategies or your plans, and nor will they be defeated by human strength or human might. I am the one who will defeat your enemy for you. And he sends him this word. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And when Sennacherib laid siege to Jerusalem and everything seemed lost and hopeless and it was impossible for the, the Jews to be able to defend themselves against this army, God did exactly what he promised to do. In the night, God sent his angel into the camp of the Assyrians and that angel killed 185,000 Assyrians during the night and the Jews were saved and they were delivered and Paul takes that story and that prophecy and he sets it into the story of redemption and he says listen man is up against an enemy a foe that he has no power to defeat and no power to overcome by his own strength how could man ever free himself from the bondage to sin? How could he possibly be delivered from the sentence of death that is upon him? How could we as sinners ever be reconciled and forgiven by a holy and just God? How could we ever be saved from the punishment and the judgment that we all deserve? Man has no answer for that. Man has no plan. And man cannot defeat his enemy by his own strength. Only God can do this. And God has done this for us 
through His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer to all of our problems. Jesus is the only one who can give us victory over our greatest enemies and deliver us from our greatest fear. And he says in verse 20, so think about this. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Paul says, think about it. Where where are the so-called wise people in the world? Where are those who have read and written extensively trying to solve man's problems? Don't you know that libraries are full of books that are trying to solve all of man's problems. Man has written extensively about what's wrong with this world and trying to come up with his own solution as to how to fix it. So where are those who have written these books? And where are the philosophers and the thinkers who love to debate and argue their philosophies and their ideas and their beliefs? It would be like Paul saying, where are all the scientists? Where are all the politicians? Where are the economists? We're the sociologists, we're the professors, the psychiatrists who believe they have all the answers to man's problems. Where has all this gotten us? I mean, think about it this morning. Sure, there have been major advancements in this world. We know that the world looks much different today than it did a thousand years ago or a hundred years ago or even ten years ago. Things are always advancing, it seems. I mean, today we have more information and more tools for learning than any time in history. We can acquire and share information faster, quicker than ever before. We can treat most most diseases and illnesses better than ever. We can communicate easier and stay more connected than ever. I mean, it's the craziest thing. It's something that, I, that we take for granted these days. But I've got a son who's, who's in Germany right now, thousands of miles away from where I live. And yet yesterday, I was looking at his face on a cell phone, and we were having a conversation together. How in the world is that possible? Yet the technology is always advancing. The world seems like it's always improving in certain areas. But how much better off are we really? Because when you look at the world, and when you look at things in the world, we're not much better off than we've ever been. In fact, things in the world aren't really getting better, they're only getting worse. This morning we sit in a world that's still divided, a world that is, that is at war with itself, nations fighting against nation, peoples against people. There's hate, there's anger, violence, abuse, injustice, wickedness, evil all over the world. It fills the world today. And people are just as lonely, just as broken, and just as confused as they have ever been. And we know that all of these problems exist, and yet man has no answer. He has no real clue how to solve the world's real problems. And what Paul says in this passage is that this is the very way that God designed it. God has designed this world. God has designed man when he created him that man will never find the answers 
to life and to life's biggest questions and to life's biggest problems. He will never find the answers within himself. The answer can only be found in God. And so he says in verse 21, listen. For since, the wisdom of, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. In other words, man's inability to acquire salvation on his own through human wisdom and human effort is all part of the sovereign plan of God. Listen, God's the one that orchestrated this whole thing. He's the one that put all of this together. You go back and you read the story of the Bible, you will find in Scripture that God knew exactly what was going to happen in this world and to this world before He ever created it. God knew when He created man that man was going to rebel against Him. Somehow within the infinite wisdom and the sovereign will of God, this was all part of the plan. Man rebels against God he finds himself alienated now from God, separated from God, under the curse of sin, deserving of judgment and wrath, unable to be able to do anything to bridge the gulf that now existed between him and his Creator, powerless to do anything about the curse of sin that was now upon him. And yet God, in the very beginning, knew what he was going to do to reconcile fallen humanity unto himself and how he was going to deal with man's sin problem. He would send his son into the world, Jesus Christ. In the book of Genesis, chapter 3, the first promise of this Messiah that is to come is given to us. But listen, that promise was not in place just when God spoke it in Genesis chapter 3. The Bible tells us that even before the foundation of the world, God had already purposed, predetermined, He was going to send His Son into the world to be our Savior. The story of Scripture is how God has carried out the plan of redemption. He would do it by choosing a people, raising up a people for himself, through that nation, he would work to bring his son into the world. When Jesus Christ came into the world, he would come into the world avoiding the curse of sin because even though he was born of a woman, he would not be born of the seed of man. He would be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. The curse of sin was not upon him. He bypassed all of that. He came into the world and became God in human flesh. Lived the life that we could not live, a perfect and sinless life, so that he could go to the cross and take our place, suffering the punishment that we all deserve because of sin. The wrath of God was poured out on him. God punished your sin, my sin, on Jesus Christ on the cross. And then he raised him up from the dead so that through him, you and I could be forgiven and we could be reconciled to God and have the hope and the promise of eternal life. How could, how could God remain just and holy and still be able to receive sinners to himself? There's only one way. It is through his son, Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. If there were another way, if man could solve this problem on his own, then doesn't it make sense that God would have never sent Christ into the world? I mean, why would he give his only son? Why would he send his son to die if there were another way? And the answer is there, there is no other way. 
If you took all of the brilliant minds in history and you put them in a room and you gave them a thousand lifetimes trying to solve this problem of how sinners, depraved, vile, wicked sinners could be reconciled and forgiven by a holy and just God, they could never solve that problem on their own because the problem cannot be solved by man. Only God could do this. God is the one who has provided our salvation. He is the one to whom we owe our redemption. And Paul says, listen, this is why we preach the cross. This is why we must preach the cross. Yes, there are people who think that this is ridiculous. It's absurd. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But Paul says, I am assuring you that the cross, the message of the cross, is the only hope for this broken, fallen, sinful world. We've got nothing else. We've got nothing else to offer. We've got nothing else to preach. There's nothing else that we can share with the world this morning that will make any difference in any person's life or will solve any real problem in any person's life apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. The answer is in the cross. The hope is in the cross. And Paul says that's why we must preach the cross. Now, when you preach the cross of Christ in this world, the response that you get is much the same that Paul received in his world as he preached the cross of Christ. For some, they'll never see the cross as enough. There's always going to be something else out there that they're looking for. Paul calls these people those who seek a sign. They are sign seekers. He's referring to the Jews here. He says to, to some in the world, the cross is nothing but a stumbling block because they're looking for something else. They're looking for a sign. You share with them the message of the cross and they'll look at you and say, well, I hear what you're saying. You know, you, you're talking about Jesus come down. But, but, but listen, I, how, how can I know? How can I know that, that that's true? How can I know that that's real? You know, I really need God to do something else. I need God to, to show me something else so that I can believe. You ever met somebody like that? The message of the cross is not enough. I, I need some other sign. I need God to do something spectacular. I need, I need God to do something else that will convince me to believe in the message of the cross. The truth is, you have everything already that you need to believe. God's given you everything that you need already to believe. He's given you His Word you say, well, preacher, there's a, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people out there who claim that they have a word from God. Yep, but only the Bible can make that claim and back it up. The Bible is the word of God. There's so many different reasons I can give you for that, why I believe that, why I know that's true. But the Bible is the word of God, and it is a story of God, and it's a story of God's redemption. It explains everything to us that we need to understand about how we got here, about what's wrong with us 
about where we're headed without God and how God in His love and His mercy and grace sent His Son into this world to rescue us and save us from our sins. This is the story of God. The story of God's redemption brought to man through His Son, Jesus Christ. You have the eyewitness accounts of people who were here when Jesus was here. People who walked with Him. People who were around Him. People who heard His teaching. They heard what he said, and they watched how he lived, and they knew that he lived a perfect life. That he was under the law just like all the rest of us, but yet he did not stumble even at one point. He kept the law of God perfectly. And then they watched him go to the cross and give his life. No man took it from him. He offered it willingly. He went to the cross, and he died for our sins. He didn't die for anything that he had done. He was... He was perfect in every way. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross was the most unjust thing that's ever happened in this world. He who knew no sin was made sin for us on the cross. And then they buried him. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And you have the eyewitness accounts and eyewitness stories of people who were there with Jesus, who saw him, who were with him, who touched him following the resurrection. The, the, gospel of the, 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 the book of Acts opens up with this statement that Jesus was with, his, was with his disciples 40 days following the resurrection, giving them undeniable evidence and undeniable proof that this is absolutely the truth. And you have their stories recorded for you in Scripture. The Bible is the Word of God. Jesus is the Son of God who died for your sins. And the truth is, if you won't believe all of that, I mean, there's an empty tomb this morning. Don't you think that men have tried to put Jesus back in that tomb? They're still trying to do it, but they can't do it. You know why? Because he's not there. He's risen. He's alive. You've got everything that you need. And the truth is that if you won't believe all of that, you wouldn't believe even if God gave you some other kind of sign. Because the problem and the reason for your unbelief is not with your head, it's with your heart. There are sign seekers. There are going to be people that you share the gospel with, people that we preach the gospel to, and they're going to say, well, that's just not enough for me. I, I need something else. And then there are others that Paul said will, will scoff at this message. They'll scoff at the message of the cross. They'll laugh at it. He says to the Greek, to those who are given to wisdom, the, the, the cross is nothing but foolishness to them. It's, it's ridiculous. The idea of a man dying on a tree to pay for our sins is absurd. These are the people who love to argue, people who seem to have an explanation or an answer to everything that doesn't include God. They love to boast of their wisdom and their knowledge. They love to pontificate their philosophies. They're a lot like the people that Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. He says this in verse 21, all, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. Now, he makes that statement after he just said previously in Romans 1 that God has given us enough evidence in creation to know that he's there and that he exists. I'll tell you something. Listen. There is no way 
that you could look at this world, the complexity of this world, how this world is designed and how this world is put together. You can't really be honest with yourself and look out into creation and believe that all of this just happened by chance. Clearly God is there. There's a God who is behind all of this, a God who created this world, a God who created us. And Paul says even though the evidence is there, they deny it. They won't believe. Although they knew God, although really deep down inside they know that He's there, they don't glorify Him as God, nor are they thankful, but they become futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts become darkened. Professing to be wise, they become as fools. Does that not sound like our world today? We've got a lot of people who profess to be wise who are just fools. Our society boasts today of being so enlightened. And yet we've never been shrouded in more darkness than we are right now. We live in a world that rejects God, but accepts every form of evil imaginable. People are blind to the truth of God and to the reality that a day of reckoning is coming. We're storing up wrath for the day of wrath as the judgment of a holy God looms over us. And it is so sad that our world defiantly rejects and scoffs at the very one and the only thing that can possibly save us, and that is Jesus Christ and His cross. But there are people in the world who will always look at the message of the cross and they will say, that's foolishness. It's kind of discouraging, isn't it? Some people will say, you know, this is not enough for me. This message that you preach, I hear what you're saying, but... I need something better. I need something else. I need something more. Some people will hear the message and they'll say, that's ridiculous. That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. You really believe that kind of stuff. But Paul says we preach it anyway. You want to know why? Because the message of the cross is the power of God and the wisdom of God. To those who are being saved... It is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. In fact, look, look at this. He, he says down in verse 24, he says, but, but though, to those who are called, those who are being called by the Holy Spirit unto Christ. See, see here, here's, here's the truth of it all, is that you and I don't find God. God is the one who has found us. God is the one who calls us into a relationship with Himself. He's the one that reveals Himself to us through His Word, through the message of the cross, through the preaching of the cross, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when a person comes under the conviction of sin, when a person realizes, I am a sinner, there is something broken in my life that I can't fix. There's something wrong with me that I can't, I can't fix. There, 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 there's, there's a separation between me and God that I can't overcome. When a person comes under that conviction, that is the Holy Spirit of God working in that person's life, drawing that person to Jesus. And to those who respond to the call of the Holy Spirit, those who respond to that conviction of the Holy Spirit in repentance and faith, and they put their trust in Jesus Christ, 
To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, that means everybody in the world, anybody in the world. Aren't you glad that the gospel is for anybody? Whoever hears this message and will respond in repentance and faith and turn to Jesus Christ and put their trust in Him, He says, the cross is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. Think about that. The cross is the wisdom of God. Is there anything more glorious? Is there any news in this world more fantastic, more wonderful, more glorious, more hopeful than the message of the cross of Jesus Christ? We were sinners, condemned in our sin, but God sent His Son into this world to die for us. God so loved us that He gave His only Son that through Him we could be saved. Not by anything that we've done, but by everything He's done for us. I'm so glad this morning that salvation doesn't depend on me. That God has done this for me because I couldn't do it myself. Oh man, what a plan. What a glorious, marvelous plan to bring salvation to the world. And it all originated with God. It was all God's plan. It is all the wisdom of God in bringing about our salvation. But it's the power of God as well. Because the message of the cross is the very thing that has changed our life. It's by the blood of Jesus and the power of the cross that we as sinners have been made new. That salvation has come to us. And notice how he frames this. Notice notice how he says this. He says, to those who are being saved, the cross, the message of the cross is the power of God. To those who are being saved. Not just to those who are saved, but those who are being saved. Which means there is a complexity to this thing called salvation. When he says those who are being saved... He's talking about those who have repented of their sin, put their faith in Christ. And the Bible tells us that the moment we do that, the moment we put our trust in Jesus, at that moment, we are saved. Because the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you are declared justified before God. Because your sin has been dealt with. It's been paid for through Jesus Christ and through His cross. When you and I put our faith in Jesus, Jesus who took our sin on Himself, when you put your trust in Him, He covers you in His righteousness so that when God looks at you this morning, He doesn't see you as you see yourself most mornings when you look in the mirror. He doesn't see you as still the broken, wretched, defiled individual that you still feel like you are. He sees you covered in the blood of Jesus He sees you as one who is righteous, just as Christ is righteous because you are covered in the righteousness of Christ. You are saved, and you are sealed, and you are secured, and nothing can ever take away your salvation. Anybody glad of that this morning? But not only are you saved, you are still being saved. See, here's the good news of the gospel, is that you don't have to, I don't have to stand here this morning and say to you, listen, if you want to be saved, here's what you got to do. you got to, you got to make some improvements in your life. You need to go get yourself cleaned up. You need to get rid of some things in your life. You need to change this about your life. You need to stop doing this. And when you do all those things, when you, when you better yourself, when you make yourself more presentable, then you come to God and maybe God will accept you. If that were the case, nobody in this room stands a chance. But the message of the gospel is this. You just come like you are. You come broken, messed up, sinful, wretched. That's who you are. Come as you are. 
and throw yourself at the mercy of the cross. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the moment you do that, God forgives you. You're justified. You're covered in the righteousness of Christ. He receives you just as you are, but in His grace, He won't leave you as you are. He begins this work of changing your life into who He would have you to be. So I'll tell you, here's the truth about Mike Sam's. I am nowhere close this morning to being the man I want to be or the man I need to be, but I can tell you that I am not the man I used to be. God's changed my life. For years, I tried to change me. For years, I tried to turn over a new leaf. I tried to do better. I I tried to go to church more. I tried to read my Bible more. I tried to self-improve my life, and none of it worked. And when I finally realized that none of this is working for me and I am still the same wretched, miserable person that I've always been, I threw myself at the mercy of God, got down on my knees, and, and put my trust in Jesus Christ and in the message of the cross, and I stood up from that, that, that prayer that night, a different man, changed. God saved me, and God has been saving me. Saving me from my old life, giving me this new life that is now mine in Jesus Christ. That's the power of the cross. You can't change yourself. You can't make your life better. God can. But it's through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Because this world that we live in is perishing. When he talks about those who are perishing, he's talking about those who are still dead in their sin. Those who are just dead people walking around on this earth. And one day the judgment of God is going to fall upon all of those who are spiritually lost and separated from God. But thank God, those of us who have put our hope in Jesus Christ and put our trust in him, we know that when this world comes to an end, our eternity is just beginning. That God has a place for us with himself in his glory. And we will not only be there in his glory, we will share in his glory forevermore. And we will be made perfect just as Jesus is perfect. And that is my future. That is my hope. And it's all because of the cross of Christ. And Paul says, this is why we preach the cross. Yes, there are going to be people who look at us and say, that's not enough for me, I need something else. Yes, there are going to be people who, see, who look at you and say, that is absolute foolishness. But I'm telling you that it's the preaching of the cross and only the preaching of the cross that gives hope to sinful people. It's the only thing that has the power to save. And that's why we must preach the cross. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for every person who believes, both Jew and Greek, for anybody. It's the preaching of the cross, it's the power of the cross that saves and therefore I will not be ashamed church I want to tell you that we live in a day where more and more and more it feels like the world is against us and the world is trying to shame us into silence by looking at us and telling us that your message is ridiculous it's foolishness 
I'm ashamed to tell you that there, there are some preachers that have bought into that. There's some churches that have bought into that. They don't sing about the cross anymore. They don't talk about the cross anymore because we don't want to offend anybody anymore. I'll tell you something. The cross is offensive. It's the most offensive thing ever. And the truth of the cross is this. It should have been you. You are the one who deserves to die. You're the one who deserves to be punished. You're the one who deserves to go to hell. But Jesus Christ came and he took your place. He suffered your punishment, died for your sins. He went through your hell so that you could be forgiven through him and reconciled to God and have the hope of eternal life. And you can look at me and you can say that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard, but I'm telling you, it's the only thing that will save your life. It is the power of God. As I was thinking about this passage this week and the power of the cross, Paul says that over and again, the power of the cross. It reminded me of a song that was written years ago by, by Keith and Kristen Getty. And the title of the song is The Power of the Cross. Now, don't, don't, don't get nervous. I'm not going to sing it to you. Because I don't want you to get lost in the beauty of my voice and not hear the words. I want you to hear the words of this song. Listen. Listen, just, just for a moment, tune in and listen to these words. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary. Tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to the cross of wood. And oh, to see the pain written on your face, bearing the awesome weight of sin. Every bitter thought, every evil deed, our evil deeds, crowning your blood-stained brow. This is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath. We stand forgiven at the cross. And then listen to this verse. Oh, to see my name written in the wounds. For through your suffering, I am free. Death is crushed to death, and life is now mine to live. One through your selfless love. This is the power of the cross. Son of God, slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. It's all we've got. It's the hope of all humanity. It's the only way to be saved. And the world may think it's foolishness, but I'll tell you, it is the wisdom and the power of God. And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you were encouraged by today's sermon, leave us a rating and subscribe to the podcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church Martin, visit fpcmartin.org.